Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And our friend Sheba is back with us today. Sheba is a licensed therapist and also a TEDx speaker. Her TEDx talk was about imposter syndrome. I encourage you to look it up on YouTube if you haven't listened to it yet. So good. But we talked today about imposter syndrome, particularly for types four, five, six, and seven. We're looking at what each type runs towards, what they run away from, and how that's connected to imposter syndrome. I also wanted to let you know that Kat and I have a couple of opportunities coming up to explore the Enneagram virtually. So literally from anywhere in the world, you can join us. We're doing an all-day training on April the 14th with CEU Creations. So you can just Google CEU Creations to learn more about that. That particularly might interest you if you are a therapist because you can get continuing education credits for that event on April the 14th. We also are collaborating with the Chattery to offer two upcoming events. One is Monday the 17th, and Kat will be leading that from 6.30 to 7.45 and it's a virtual class on the Enneagram and mantras. And then on Monday, the 24th of this month, I'm going to lead a class about the Enneagram and yoga. And we'll actually practice a little yoga during that class and have some fun with it. And we'll think about how yoga um, and your type correlate. So I think that will be a lot of fun. We also wanted to highlight Sheba. She is going to be leading Uh, a workshop with the Chattanooga Women's Leadership Institute, and that's going to be on April the 25th from 1130 to 1. You can go to their website, cwli.org, to sign up for that, and it's about self-awareness and knowing yourself. And of course, Socrates said, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom, and that really connects with the Enneagram, doesn't it? When we start to learn more about ourselves, who we are, what our fears are, our inner motivations, our strengths, that's when we're finding the beginning of wisdom, which is why I love the Enneagram. But I hope that you'll check out these different offerings and opportunities, and we just really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so I wanted to go back to why the discomfort cannot be tolerated. Um, First of all, I acknowledge that there are levels of stimulation and stress that are just unnatural. Like the way that our society has just transformed and developed in terms of like technology and all of the things that are very quickly moving along, like from an evolutionary perspective, our bodies did not have the time Mm -hmm. to catch up and adapt. Mm -hmm. So there's all this change, all Mm -hmm. this transition without enough room to be able to, um, like, I I just keep, I I like using food metaphors of like marinating, Mm -hmm. taking the time to really absorb. Mm -hmm. And the thing is like when you marinate something, it actually breaks down certain fibers so that other things can be, you know, absorbed Mm -hmm. and taken in and so that the flavor can really steep, et cetera, et cetera. Like we never get that chance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, basically, when that level of speed occurs, we become dysregulated. And the downtime required, like, just imagine if you don't sleep. Mm -hmm. 
if you don't slow down, if you don't rest, mm -hmm. you know, if you just work out all the time, or mm -hmm. if you're just, you know, working 24 seven or whatever, your brain is not able to take the time that it needs to integrate the information and to file it away into long-term memory, uh, outside of short-term memory. You're not able to learn. There's no time to learn. In order to actually be able to learn, you have to be at an optimal window of arousal. Mm -hmm. If you're not in that optimal window of arousal, you're just on autopilot doing everything that you've always done. You actually have to have a certain level of health and calmness for things to actually get solidified and put away into your long-term memory. Yeah, <clears throat> that is so true. And for the two, they say that the defense mechanism of the two is repression. And because the two is always helping, there's not that time for integration. And so they repress memories. Mm -hmm. um, they repress feelings. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pushing down. They're good at intuiting other people's feelings. But as far as you know, taking time to sit with their own, they don't. And so, yeah, that's very, very true, is that when you don't allow for space, mm -hmm. you're less likely to have those long-term memories. And anybody who's experienced trauma, not just a two, you know, is less likely to have long-term memory because they, they find ways to push down the trauma and they don't have spaces to collect data. Right. So let's work with that word repression. And from a trauma-informed perspective, let's talk about short-term memory versus long-term memory. Okay. What's supposed to naturally happen, if you have the time, you're able to integrate it, you have the proper tools for things to get filed away, things should go into long-term memory, which means then it, if it's helpfully done, it won't be triggered later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when you repress or when you don't properly process adverse or difficult or challenging experiences that were overwhelming for you, what ends up happening is it hangs out in short-term memory. Mm -hmm. And if it hangs out in short-term memory, that means that it's on the regular getting tripped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's on the regular getting triggered. So you think that you're upset with your spouse. You think you're upset with your child. You think you're upset with your boss. And maybe so, like out of a zero to 10, maybe they did a, a level four, something that was offensive to you. Yeah. But you might be experiencing it at a level eight. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because something about this experience with that individual is triggering baggage that you've not worked through yet. Mm -hmm. And so it's activating a host of old stuff that's hanging out in short-term memory and never got moved into long-term memory. Mm. And again, that's where a lot of the somatic work is needed in order to help move things along. And the idea actually is the body mm -hmm. wants to heal itself. Mm -hmm. It wants mm -hmm. to heal itself. And we see that on a physical, like we don't have to tell a, a paper cut what to do. Right. You know, we just provide the appropriate, like, environment and cleansing and whatever you sure. give it the appropriate time mm -hmm. you don't overexert it sure and then it's able to self-heal so are you saying we are in today's time are due to our generational history and environment and cultural societal norms that what should feel and be natural to our body to heal itself becomes unnatural and that is why it is so hard to tolerate it because that slowdown that stillness that's nothingness feel unnatural therefore they feel foreign therefore they feel like i want i want back to the where i feel okay normal that go go run run 
So the idea is your natural self-healing capacity becomes blocked or truncated ah. because of the environment that we're living in. Got it. So in the same way that the body is able to self-heal physically, right. should be the case emotionally, should be the case mentally, the only reason that it's not able to is because something has wedged itself mm-hmm. and gotten in the way. So how do we mm-hmm. wedge it? Well, let's talk about the thing that does get wedged or what it is that's getting blocked or stopped. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's the emotion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Emotion is the thing that oftentimes people are like, don't cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't be upset. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not allowed or it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. And so when you repress the emotion, mm-hmm. which is another way of saying you refuse to be with what's true for you in the moment mm-hmm. and you erase it or you put it away or you put it into denial or whatever, it ends up just hanging out in short-term memory. Mm-hmm. It never gets properly filed away because an emotion, it's supposed to have a natural, just think of the ocean, a natural rise and a natural fall. And when it's not allowed to have its natural rise and fall and it's interrupted because someone says it's not okay or because you realize it's a burden to someone else or you realize that it's gonna upset somebody else or whatever, then it becomes truncated, it becomes blocked, it becomes stopped, it doesn't finish its completion. And maybe it doesn't even reach its height or its zenith because you don't know how to tolerate that level of intensity by yourself. Someone was supposed to help you hold that level of overwhelm Mm -hmm. with you. But maybe they're not even resourced to do it. And the reason they're telling you not to do it is because they can't handle it. Yeah. And you know, the craziest part, if no one taught us, you know, I'm a parent. I don't know how to do that for for my kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? This is generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Hello, therapy. Hello, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah, you, therapy. I get it. And so a <laughs> lot of relational trauma is simply because we are not skilled and resourced to deal with the emotional processes. We don't know how to deal with them. And instead, we intellectualize how to deal with yes, it ma'am. or we become busy. Mm-hmm. So there's a phrase that I've heard that I love, I use all the time, and then I added something to it, mm-hmm. which is busyness is the solution to grief. <gasps> oh, Lord. And then I added something to it. Busyness yeah. is the solution to grief and rage. Yeah. Many of us don't even realize that we're angry. It's mm-hmm. so underneath the surface because in our culture, that's not allowed. That's not no. okay. Especially that's not for so, women. Especially for women. Mm-hmm. I'd like, so the a, women t- that I'd like, like... a t-shirt with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. Front and back. Yeah. So the busyness is the equivalent of mm-hmm. keeping a certain speed, yeah. which means you never slow down. Yeah. Because if you were to slow down, yeah. if you were to relax, guess what? What's true for you yeah. in your emotional experience is going to start coming to the light. Yeah. It's going to start coming forward. So for those of us that don't want to do breathing, don't want to do meditation, don't want to slow down because it feels awful, yeah, because your baggage is showing up. Yeah, yeah. And you're not resourced as to how to do it, so that's why you're going to keep go, 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 stay busy to keep avoiding the thing <sighs> that you don't know how to handle yeah. or deal with or be with. Mm-hmm. Wow. Before we started, Tabor, I said, I feel like I'm going to get emotional through <laughs> this one, and here I am. Okay, yeah. so what's most emotional? Like, what's activating for you right now? As we All of it. Everything that you just said. Everything that you yeah. just said. Where did it hit home for you? Where did it become personal? Childhood. Yeah. Childhood. The fact that, you know, I always say I have very little long-term memories. Mm. Very little. I always mm-hmm. think, like, that's very unnatural mm. I, because I don't have amnesia. I didn't mm-hmm. have a brain injury. Like, none of that. 
And it and it's true for a lot of people just to normalize. Oh, topic. thank you. Because yeah. I, I I don't remember you know, we're, you know like on on your computer sometimes it will show up you know your memories and you'll see the pictures from a few years ago and we were at kitchen table yesterday and pictures came up of my sixteen year old when she was maybe six and she's like oh I remember that, like she remember where she was what city what was happening I'm like. I don't remember myself at mm -hmm. six at all. Not one thing I remember about myself being six years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. So from an IFS perspective, what I've seen when I work with clients who share like that, so this idea of like when we can't handle the overwhelm, we compartmentalize and we silo. The idea is there are parts of us that are holding those memories, but we don't know how to have a relationship with those parts. No. Yeah. And what I find is as I work with my clients and they start building those relationships, those memories come back. Oh my god! Oh, I just got all sorts of goosebumps. She got chills. Yeah. And not that you're gonna remember everything, yeah. but like themes of time periods will at least come back. But the idea is that part of you that holds those memories, there might be too much pain, and so to remember anything would activate too much, and so there might be a whole like segment of your life where it's like yeah. okay you're not resourced to deal with yeah. everything that's in that closet and under that bed and you're saying it and i feel inside of me like oh you're can you stepping closer you stepping closer mm -hmm. to, back up back up back up back up, back up, back up because it just even hearing you say it feels mm -hmm. very uncomfortable for me. and that's where i said at the beginning that everything mm -hmm. hinges on avoidance yeah because there is something we're all running from it's easier to notice what we're running toward. Yeah. But to get clear on what we're running away from, because without realizing, you're gonna end up like building your life around the thing that you don't want instead of aligning with what's what you really do want, your true nature. You know, it's crazy. I was doing the training for the Enneagram and that was exact question from the teacher. What are the things that you're doing in your life that are actually taking you away from things that you want in your life 100%. the most? 100%. And my answer was, what I want the most in my life is close and genuine and authentic, mm -hmm. loving relationships mm -hmm. with the people I love the most. Mm -hmm. But what I do exactly takes me in a completely different right. direction, right. which is crazy because that's opposite of what I want the most. So I did some um, training with EMDR. Right. That was like some of my my first exposure to trauma-informed treatment and mm -hmm. intervention. And one thing that has never left me, even though I don't do as much EMDR in the office anymore, there's so much wisdom that I've pulled from it. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that the problem mm -hmm. was once the answer. Mm -hmm. Say it again. Yeah. <clears throat> the problem was once the answer. Mm -hmm. And so whatever the presenting issue is that the client is coming in with, I can see how like that was adaptive at an earlier time, yeah. but it's no longer adaptive now. Yeah. And so even when you express this like need for like deep, meaningful, intimate, like uh, mm -hmm. connection, True. at an earlier time, it might have not been in available in the container to no one's like malicious intent, right? right. But it's just like there was a lack of resources. Mm -hmm. Imagine how painful it would have been to stay aware of that need yeah. and to never get it. Yeah. So it's easier to just exile and cut it off and to move into that action and that doing. Yeah. But maybe now you've moved to a place in your life where you can't ignore it anymore. You really want it. And the thing that was once adaptive, which was ignoring and denying and repressing, now it's getting in the way of the very thing that you want. 
Oh, Misty, you talk. She's having a moment. Her body is like turned in a different direction. She can barely look at me. Oh, no, I'm wondering, I'm wondering just for our listeners um, to talk through each of the nine types so everybody feels like, you know, okay, this makes sense to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And so if we could look through uh, maybe, you know, what they might be running towards and what they're running away from. Yeah, I would love for you to take lead on that, and I'll just commentate if that's a word. All right, so I will take the lead on that. Um, Let's just start with the five, okay? Okay. We'll start with the five, which is the investigator. So we're starting in our head triad. Sometimes we call it our safety triad. Um, And so I think what they're running towards is often knowledge Mm. they feel like they're going to be safe again the Mm -hmm. safety triad that's going to keep them safe Mm -hmm. what they're running away from is their feelings and their body Mm. right they really disown the feelings and the body we often say that it's uh, for them that they disown the body the most Mm -hmm. but because they're so hyper connected Mm -hmm. to their thinking self they really Mm -hmm. disown both the heart and the body right right? Mm -hmm. and so they're running away from the body intelligence and the heart intelligence Mm -hmm. and 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 the interesting thing is the paradox here when we think about imposter syndrome right Mm -hmm. is that they run towards knowledge and they're very knowledgeable but they have a fear of incompetence. Right. Mm. And so there's that imposter syndrome. Right. Right? It's right there. Mm-hmm. The fear of incompetence. Um, and, you know, that that often is linked to a childhood story sure. as mm-hmm. well, where they were not taken care of. Their right. feelings were not taken care of. Their body was not acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So let me get mom and dad's approval through being smart. Sure. Right? And I like how you identified that paradox of, like, you know, becoming knowledgeable, but then the fear of incompetence that goes back to the act of doing more right. to stop sure. feeling like less. And that's the working definition of imposter syndrome that I'm yeah, sharing. Yeah, sure. yeah. And so sure. I'd love to continue to see like, yeah, what is each number doing more to stop feeling like less? Right. And it's probably a paradox. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If we are to talk about six, I think what they would run towards is continuously trying to seek the safety and what they're trying to run away is the, 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 the inherent knowledge that they can trust themselves and they already mm-hmm. are prepared enough and uh, are equipped enough and efficient enough and have, you know, all of the safety nets inside of them already. They don't mm-hmm. have to continuously seek them. And I think for a sixth, the imposter syndrome would show up as in they're constantly are seeking external uh, validation and maybe an authority figure or, you know, being a part of the community so they, they, they feel safer um, instead of knowing that they already are safe enough internally. They mm. are already have the knowledge to keep them safe that, 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 that I don't even know how to how to say it that mm-hmm. that root knowledge that they can they they can do it they yeah. can overcome 
they can, you know, do the hard things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be scared of it. So the paradox is the very things that they're looking for externally in authority figures right. are actually accessible and right. available within yes. inside of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's really well said. And then for the seven, mm -hmm. what they're running towards, as we know, is uh, fun, mm -hmm. adventure, joy, ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the things that they're running towards. They're mm -hmm. going to be on that airplane seeking out all the fabulous adventures. And I want to be on that airplane with them. That sounds so fun. <laughs> but then what they're running away from is pain and suffering. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. running away from their feelings. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so the imposter syndrome is that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm only enough if I'm fun. If I'm the fun friend, if yeah. I'm the witty friend, then I'm enough. But to bring my pain, mm -hmm. um, and you might speak mm -hmm. more to this because you're married to a seven. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm curious from the angle of, um, so I've heard unconscious childhood messages for the seven might be, it's not okay to depend on anyone for yeah. anything. Yeah. And then lost childhood messages is you will be taken care of. Right. So from, yeah. And then especially with your husband, what's the paradox you notice what he's running toward and away from? You know, I think he is running, you know, we, we've touched on that, how we all process our experiences are very different in childhood. So two siblings mm -hmm. and from the same family, yes, with the same parents exactly. process it differently. Different. Mm -hmm. And I think his process of any kind of pain and hardship was that I'm going to remove myself out of it and I'm going to entertain myself mm. by myself. I'm going to create a fun life ah. for myself. And that translates into the adulthood. Mm. That that is, he is a great time, a fun time. He is, and I will all, and I will look, I will run towards positivity and optimism and the silver lining and as a result of repress, even the possibility of anything painful or going bad or going wrong or or being mismanaged or all, any of that. So it's not that I choose happiness. I choose happiness to, to create complete absence of unhappiness. Yeah, mm -hmm. and sometimes for the seven... They, they did have a childhood story where they did not feel very taken care of, mm -hmm. you know, and they mm -hmm. felt very alone. And mm -hmm. so in order to um, survive that, mm -hmm. they sought out adventure mm -hmm. and fun. And fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about the piece where um, what they actually need to do is learn how to depend and share life with other people? Because it's... Go ahead. You're absolutely right. And then to even take it further, and the life is with happy and unhappy, with joy and with sadness, with ups and with downs. That's the sharing part. And mm -hmm. um, also learning to not constantly be running. You know, for seven, they say both feet planted firmly on the ground mm -hmm. because it's uncomfortable to stay right here with my feet planted in the ground. I want to move. And the movement is always towards something bigger, better, funner, more exciting, etc etc so yeah. so would it be fair to say that like what they want is happiness and they're running toward happiness mm -hmm. but the paradox is that in order to have true happiness there must be wholeness 
where you share in the joys and the pains. And if you can't do you that, can't you can't have intimacy. You cannot experience true joy with experience and true pain. Mm -hmm. You cannot experience a gain without experiencing a loss. Mm -hmm. You cannot experience... Mm -hmm. you, 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 so yeah. so, so you, they never get what they want. Right. On a superficial level, it seems like they're achieving it, but it's still emptiness inside because right. it's incomplete. But, which is true for a four as well, except it's the opposite, right? For them, they're uh, often, unless it's a counter type like you, I mean, you're a self-preservation four, so self-preservation fours often present more sunny side up, even though there's, there are often deep feelings within, but to other people, they look more like a seven or a three, mm. okay? And then mm -hmm. so, but for the four, um, you know, they're more comfortable with the pain of life and then when they begin to get more comfortable with the joy and gratitude mm. and those sort of emotions, then they move towards wholeness. wholeness. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's from the different direction. Yeah. But mm. towards the same wholeness. But it's, if we look at the four for a minute, you know, what they're, what they're running towards is being unique and different, right? That's often what they're running towards. And mm. that that's kind of the mask that they wear when we talked about mask earlier. Um, and then what they're they're running away from? I mean, you might can speak more to that as a four. I mean, so actually, about I, it. yeah, because I don't know that I've spent too much time discerning the difference between the counter type and, and those that are mo more type mm -hmm. you know, relatable. But like, I think in this moment, I'm getting some clarity because I can, okay, I'll put it this way. So when you made the comment that fours are more comfortable with the pain of life, mm -hmm. here's what I've recognized as a self-preservation four. I'm comfortable with other people's pain. Like it too, yeah. I don't know my own pain. Yeah. I'm not in touch with my own pain, which is probably what makes it easier to show up as a three or a, to show up as a seven. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so dissociated from what's happening underneath my chin. I'm getting better. Things are improving. Yeah. It's becoming more whole. But it's been a journey. Yeah. I talk about it in my TEDx talk too, like how I got there to be yeah. a counter type for yeah. in order to survive my specific context. Um but yeah, I was more comfortable with the pain of others, but not necessarily with myself. But where I relate to the fours is that secretly, quietly, like, I do want to feel special. I do want to be unique, you know, but I'll never show or reveal or, you know, I'll conform. I'll chameleon. I'll become whatever I need. And I'll usually kind of disappear and not really make a scene. Mm -hmm. But I do have this quiet, like, martyr victim complex, you know? Yeah. And so no one would ever know, but I am tormented inside in yeah. some ways, privately. And so, you know, maybe running toward that need that someone will see me, someone will know, yeah. someone will understand, mm -hmm. someone will see behind my curtain, even though I keep everything vaulted. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the secret desire. But I would say part of the growth and the healing work for me is to realize, like, even that idea of being, like, special, whatever... That's like, that kind of separation is an illusion. Yeah. We think that's what's going to get us the love that we want, the belonging that we want, the acceptance that we want. But I'm finding that what's most healing for me to, is to realize, like, there's nothing separating me from the love of God and love of people except my own barriers that I've built within myself. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I got chills. And and also there's that paradox again, right? You're, you're showing up in the world to be seen, right? To be seen as unique and special and different and all of that. But then what are you running away from? The fact that you don't really feel seen, that you might not belong, that you might not fit in, that you might not really be special, right? So does that connect for you as a four? Or? 
That's well, I think true. that's part of the the difficulty that like I'm not always in touch yeah. with like what's the underlying motivator. But I would definitely think there's this some part of me that believes like. I could just crack the code if I could become a real TED speaker, you know? If I could just really, you know, become the best in some ways, then maybe I'll finally feel like I'm worthy of belonging or whatever. I'm cringing even as I say that. Yeah, but I love that. I don't want to even admit that to myself that, like, those kind of drives Mm -hmm. exist. It's very uncomfortable. So that was our conversation about Enneagrams type four, five, six, and seven, and how they experience imposter syndrome. But next week, we will be back looking at types nine, one, two, and three with the subject of imposter syndrome. Also, stay tuned for a short meditation after this word from our sponsor. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. meditation today is based on this episode and the idea that each type runs towards something and away from something. The type one runs towards integrity, justice, and goodness. They run away from imperfection, playfulness, and mystery. The type one often needs to hear the healing message, inhale, I am, exhale, enough. The type two runs towards giving, compliments, loving. The type two runs away from self-care, their own needs, and boundaries. The type two desperately needs to hear, inhale my needs, exhale matter. The type three runs towards efficiency, excellence, goals. The type three runs away from stillness and becoming their true self. Type three needs to hear the message. Inhale, I am. Exhale, still. The type four runs towards being unique, different, and seeking beauty while they run away from the ordinary. They run away from gratitude. They run away from equanimity. The message that they need to hear is inhale, I am. Exhale, grateful. The type five runs towards knowledge, reason, The type five runs away from connection and others. The healing message that the five needs to learn is inhale, I am, exhale, smart, enough. 
So type six runs towards cultivating community, security, belonging, safety. They run away from fear. They run away from trust. What the six needs to hear is inhale, I am. Exhale, safe. The type seven runs towards fun and adventure and planning new ideas. What they run away from is pain and suffering and the present moment. What the seven needs to know deep inside themselves is inhale, it is good. Exhale, to feel my feelings. What the eight runs towards is power, control, leadership. What they run away from is vulnerability, weakness, and empathy. What the eight needs to know is inhale, I am strong, exhale, enough. What the nine runs towards is ease, peace, and harmony. What they run away from is conflict, their needs, their voice. What the nine needs to know is inhale, my presence, exhale, matters. Take a moment to contemplate what do I run towards? What do I run away from? What healing message do I need? And then bring prayer hands to your heart. Find your inhale. Find your exhale. One more time. Deep breath in. Big breath out. Namaste. Thank you.